All of us have different work situations and things, but listen, the people of God should be the best employees, the best ones. You see it in the life of Daniel. He worked for a pagan king. You see it now in the life of Nehemiah. They don't want to be without their best employees. And I just want to remind us all that. Because I know sometimes you're like, oh man, they're just not a good boss and I'm just going to just do just, just a little bit. No, no, no. We do our work as unto God and our employers get the benefit. Though Nehemiah was an exiled Israelite, he wasn't sitting around waiting for God to bring him home. Nehemiah was employed, and as you'll learn today, he had a very important position. He worked for a king who didn't follow the Lord, but who appreciated the hard work of Nehemiah. Pastor Daniel reminds you today that the work you do, no matter who it's for, is meant to be a witness and is meant to honor your Savior. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 1 as he continues his message, God's man with God's plan. Nowhere does it say Nehemiah's heart was broken and he complained about it. Right? What does he do? In verse 4 it says, And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah realizes that in order for the work of restoration to happen, it's not just about who he is. He needs to seek God about it. He needs a heavenly perspective beyond the earthly perspectives that we have. And so Nehemiah begins with this thing that is breaking his heart and he's seeing that God wants to do a work. Now, just to give you a few details, notice it says in verse one, and it came to pass in the month of Chislov in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel. So this is like a a time and place stamp, you know, on your phones, right? You can take a picture and you can put the location on it. This is the biblical location services. You like that, right? It's right there. So we learn in the month of Chislev and the way that they reckon the calendar was the month of November, December, roughly for us. And it was in the 20th year of the reign of a king named Artaxerxes, which would place us in November, December of about 444 BC. He's in this place called Shushan, or some of you say Susa, which was a, the Persian winter palace, Right? And the idea of a citadel was simply just, it, it was a fortified palace. So this was, he, was, he was in a safe environment. And it really shows that he's working within the government. And one of his brethren comes. Now, you don't know if, you know, uh, Hanani was one of his actual biological brothers or if it was of his people. You know, it's interesting that the Bible, you know, kind of elongates our view of family a little bit. Oftentimes, you don't know, are they biological or is all the people your brother? And it really speaks to the way the children of Israel saw themselves as a community, as a whole, as opposed to just nuclear families. Although they value the nuclear family, they saw themselves as brothers and sisters. And obviously, when you get into the New Testament, then it gets along, you know, it gets enlarged again to all the people of God. You guys are all brothers and sisters. This is a family, family reunion. Say, what's up, brother? Say, what's up, sisters? 
Right? This is your family faith. It's an amazing thing. I know you thought, I never thought I'd have a dreadlock guy in my family. How'd that happen? But that's how it happens. It's the coolest thing. Right? He hears what's going on. And you see in verse 2, it says, he asked concerning the Jews who had escaped and gone back and they survived. What's going on in Jerusalem? The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress So there's issues and there's reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, we don't need really think about this, but in that culture, when there was no protection around them, you were completely vulnerable. Anybody could come into the city, do whatever they want to do. Like, we don't even have a conception of this in the West because by and large, even as challenging as a community can be, it's still relatively safe compared to what we're talking about in farther back history. A city without a wall and open gates was completely vulnerable to attack at any time, which was, it'd be like your house having no doors on it. And even in a a relatively safe community, wouldn't you feel vulnerable in that situation? Now imagine putting that into a city context, an urban context. You have a house with no doors, no protection, always open. That was the environment. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. So you got to start with what breaks your heart. But then once you start with what breaks your heart, we need to make sure that we bring our cares to God in prayer. Because Nehemiah is mourning, he's fasting, so he's stopping eating, and he's praying He's not just holding it in himself, but he wants to make sure God speaks on into it. Confronted by something that broke his heart, the desolation of Jerusalem, now Nehemiah starts his next phase of the restoration process, and that's literally talking to God about the problem. Can I be honest with you? This is one of the biggest mistakes we make as people. Something breaks our heart and we just run off and start doing things. Am I the only one like that? I call that being like a a shoot, ready, aim kind of person. You know, know, if if you're shooting a sidearm, first you get ready, then you aim, and then you shoot, right? And we know that that's just great gun safety, right? But if you're not careful, you can live your life where you just start doing things. You're shooting before you even say, God, What's your heart in this? What is it that you want? And what I love so much about Nehemiah is Nehemiah isn't just keeping the grief and the sadness to himself, but he's including God into this. And he's praying to God and he's bringing his cares to the Lord. And what's beautiful is that Nehemiah does a number of different things. First, he begins with who God is. Right? Notice what it says. Lord God, verse 5 of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. See, he begins with praising God because God is God. And I want to encourage you, when you're praying, take a moment to acknowledge God's character, God's personality. Nehemiah realizes that all that's going to go on, he needs God the God who keeps his covenant, the God who is great and awesome, the God who is merciful. He needs God to work. And of course, this reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, where it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. In the work of restoration, we need the God who there's nothing too hard for. 
When something feels beyond what you can do, always realize you believe in the God of the all possible. The God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. God has a plan and God will do a work. See, it begins with who God is and then he's saying, Lord, will you hear my prayer? But know what I love about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah does not in any way expect God to hear his prayer because he moves from the character of God to his own character and the character of the children of Israel. And what he doesn't say is, God, of course you're gonna do something because I am awesome. And all your people are awesome, and we've always been awesome. And even if you don't think we're awesome, we're awesome still because we're on TikTok, you know? He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is, and you always find this in biblical prayers, is there's a time of confession. That word confession literally means to say the same thing as. You're agreeing with God. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Although you might not want to put your flaws on your LinkedIn resume, We always should begin our conversations with God with a time of saying, God, you know that I'm not perfect. Not because God needs to hear it, but because sometimes we need to say it. We need to acknowledge to God that we can't hold God hostage. Because you know what I think happens a lot of times? We have this tendency to believe, especially when we start walking with Jesus, that because we don't do what we used to do, now God owes us. Like that we have God in our debt. I remember this happened to me. I, you know, I, I've told my story before. I was a kind of a wild and crazy guy, crazy kid, you know. Uh, and, and I remember when I stopped partying and all this stuff, I'd go to God and be like, Lord, you know, I, I don't do all that stuff anymore. Now this is what I want. Now, I didn't say it that way, but in effect, if you were to boil down my prayers, that's what it was. Like, look how much I've grown, God. Now I want you to bring me a wife. Bring, do this, do that. And, and it's like, no, no. Even though I'm not what I used to be, I still got all sorts of issues, and that's going on to this day, right now. And same for you. Sure, you're not what you used to be, but God's not done with you yet. And so we come to the Lord and we confess. We say, Lord, we have failed. We're undeserving, but because of Jesus, I'm coming with this prayer. And I want to tell you, see, humility is a lost art in our day and age. You know, many, we're all raised in the never let them see you sweat culture. But the thing is, that that might be true in our culture, but that's not true in the kingdom of God. And so, and what I would tell you is that if you can't be humble before God, you can never be humble before people. Because God loves you unconditionally. So when you say, God, I've really screwed this. Lord, I lost my patience. Lord, I didn't lose my patience outwardly, but I did inwardly. You know, you, you go through the whole thing. If you can't do that with God, you'll never be able to humble yourself before people. You'll never be able, when someone calls you on your garbage, and gosh, I hope you have people in your life who do, you'll never say, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry I got that wrong. You say, no, I didn't. What about what you did, right? And then you go in the, the tit for tat of the, how these discussions go, and you get nowhere. So humility is born in the presence of God, and he prays, and he says, Lord, forgive us, Lord. We, we have acted corruptly, Lord. We've not kept your word. Like, we've been exiled. You told us in the writings of Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, you told us that this was going to happen. And look, I'm in the citadel. I'm in the Medo-Persian Empire. We've been banished off the land. He's saying, where we are is by our own doing, Lord. And you told us that we didn't listen. We're sorry, Lord. And he says, but Lord, will you do a work? And by the end of this little chapter here, we start to realize that Nehemiah has his own plans and he's asking God to do a work. Because look at what it says in verse 11. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and to the 
prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then it says, for I was the king's cupbearer. See, it started with a broken heart. Nehemiah started to develop a plan, but he sought the Lord. He brought his cares to God in prayer. And Nehemiah wants to see, what is God's plan for this? Now, as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, so we learn that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, this was a, an important job because really the cupbearer, he served the king. So you got to realize that the cupbearer had a number of functions. One, obviously he had to be a person of high character because he was always in the king's presence, attending to the king's needs, and he heard all sorts of official business. So they wouldn't just let anybody in. Now, it's also, and if you were to read extra biblical literature, they would tell you that one of the cupbearer's jobs was to test all the food and because they'd rather the cupbearer drop dead from poison than the king. Can you imagine that job? In that culture, there's so much treachery and different things that would go on that literally the cupbearer's job was to taste the wine before he gave it to the king. Because if someone was trying to, to off the king, they would off the cupbearer instead. And so Nehemiah was very close. And so he realizes that because of who he is and where he is, he realizes that there's an opportunity. Now it says that, again, notice the timestamp, verse 1, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So about four months have passed because the month of, of Nisan would, would be March or April in our calendar. Now it's still the 20th year because it wasn't like a January to December calendar. The Gregorian calendar came later, right? In this culture, it was still the same year, but it would be the equivalent of our springtime. So four months have now passed, and it says that he is in the presence of King Artaxerxes, and he took the wine, he gave it to the king, and he had never been sad in the presence of the king before. And the king says, verse 2, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And it says, so I became dreadfully afraid. So now, four months later, as he's seeking the Lord, he's praying, he's fasting, his heart is still grieved. And the king notices. And he gets scared. Now, why? Because if there was one thing kings in that day did not like, was having to deal with the people around them. And if you, don't believe, if you read the book of Daniel, of the prophet Daniel, not me, you know, although I was named after the dude, you know, uh, you know, like the king, Nebuchadnezzar, if somebody was in his presence, didn't do what he wanted, he just killed them. And it was brutal in that way. And so the idea of him being afraid because the king realizes that his heart is broken, he realized that he was in trouble. And what do we learn here, though? Because once you start with what breaks your heart and once you bring your cares to God in prayer, then, brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to step out in faith. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. The king notices. Now, it's not like Nehemiah is over there and he's putting water on his eyes and he's, you know, kind of working up a fake cry. It's like his heart is grieved and the king notices. And then what does Nehemiah do? He steps on out. Then he says, verse 3, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lie waste and its gates are burned with fires. And the king said to him, what do you request? And he says, so I pray to the God of heaven. So he says, listen, I'm sad because of my homeland. And, and, he, and he leans in, he honors the king, made the king live forever. That was the common way that they honored the king. 
you know? And he really leaned into a point of commonality between him because he's like the place of my father's tomb. So in that culture where your parents, where, where your family was buried was a place of honor. And he says, the place is broken down. And then the king says, well, what do you want to do? And I love this because who knows what he does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You notice that? I want everyone to underline that end of verse four in your Bible. Or if you don't like to write in your own Bible, underline it in your neighbor's Bible. He immediately prays. Quick prayer. It's not like he's like, hold on, king. I got to go have a quiet time. Like he's already prayed up. But you can just imagine in that moment, what do you request? Oh, Lord, help. Oh, Lord, move. Oh, Lord, here we go. Be with me, Lord, right? Oh, Lord, this is what I've been seeking you on. This is the open door. This is the opportunity. It was an immediate prayer, and then he steps on out. And of course, don't miss the fact that it took faith for Nehemiah to do this. And of course, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Nehemiah steps out in prayer. He has an open door. He's prayed to the Lord. And it says in verse 5, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I want to go back to Jerusalem, and I want to rebuild the walls. I want to put the gates back up. And the king asked him, how long will will your journey be? And when will you return? I love that. It shows Nehemiah's faithfulness to the king. The king's like, how long are you going to be gone? When are you coming back? He would miss them. And can I just say this real quick? I realize all of us have different work situations and things. But listen, the people of God should be the best employees, the best ones. You see it in the life of Daniel. He worked for a pagan king. You see it now in the life of Nehemiah. They don't want to be without their best employees. And I just want to remind us all that. Because I know sometimes, like, oh, man, they're just not a good boss, and I'm just going to just do just, just a little bit. No, no, no. We do our work as unto God, and our employers get the benefit. And if you're an employer, you should be the best boss ever. Because you don't just care about the profit. You do, because that's why you're in business. Profit's not bad, but it's not the ultimate bottom line. The bottom line is God's glory. And as an employer, you are a witness to what a godly person looks like, what a godly person in business looks like. See, the king doesn't want to be without Nehemiah. He's like, man, when are you going to come? When are you, how long are you going to go? When are you going to come back? And it says, and it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. So the king's like, okay, you can go. So him a time. And then I love it because Nehemiah takes another step of faith. Doesn't just get the go ahead, but he's like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you send right letters so that every community I go through, they know that I'm coming from you and you're sending me to Judah. Oh, and hey, can you let Asaph, who's in charge of all the king's lumber, can you let him know that I'm coming so that I get wood for my own house and, and for the gates? So he's asking the king to not just let him go. He's actually asking the king to fund the whole expedition. That's what faith's all about. Faith is not like, I think I can get this far if they let me. Faith is like, I can take this step. Oh, if we just, can we do this and this? And literally, I think for Nehemiah, he realizes that if the king says no, he knows God will provide another way. But he's willing to ask. Brothers and sisters, part of stepping out in faith is you got to step out in faith. Stepping out in faith is when you get uncomfortable taking a step in the direction of God. And I want to encourage you, every day we should take uncomfortable steps closer to the Lord. That's a step of faith. 
And what I have found is that God meets us on the step of faith. He doesn't always do what we want, but he always does something. So you take that step of faith. And now we're going to see the last thing for today, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. It's beautiful how the king lets him go, writes some letters, gets him all the resources he needs. We hear nothing about the journey, but we see that Nehemiah now is standing in the community that God had broken his heart for. It's amazing how quick this moves, right? It's like, it's like boom, boom, you know. What would have taken months? He's there now. And what does Nehemiah do? Before he does anything, and I think this is really important, because God wants to use you to restore things. Before you do anything, you need to seek to understand. One of the great mistakes we all make is we presume to know what's supposed to happen. It's like we just kind of run out there, right? But before he does anything, he gets to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there. And when it was night, he gets on this animal, this beast of burden, and he takes a few people with him, and he goes and he surveys all the gates. And he's literally in the middle of the night, he's making his way around Jerusalem, and he's looking at what's going on. He's looking at the damage. He's seeking to understand what's going on. And he's checking everything out. And of course, this reminds me, this idea of seeking to understand Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2, which as a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. That's a good one, isn't it? A fool doesn't want to understand. A fool just wants to emote. And in a lot of ways, it's one of the great ills of our culture today, I think. People just want to tell you how they feel. It's like a social media problem, I think. It's this, the way social media socializes us. We're so used to putting our feelings out there, you know? Like, it's funny, I, I, we were looking, uh, Lynn and I, at, at, at the reviews of a restaurant. I'm always amazed at, like, the amount of energy it takes to write a negative review of a place. And I remember I was, t- I was talking to Obadiah about it, and he's like, Dad, what do you think? I'm like, if I'm wasting my time writing a negative review of somewhere, that's my heart problem, not that place's problem. Like, like, who wants that? On, and if I'm eating your lunch right now, I'm so sorry, but I was hungry. You know? It's like, why would you want to spend your time doing that? You know? But this is the culture that we live in. Right? Our culture is just like, this is how I feel. And now you have to deal with it. But our Bible says that's foolishness. A fool doesn't take the time to understand what's going on. And you can imagine Nehemiah, he's got a head of steam behind him. He's got the Lord behind him. He knows that he's supposed to be there. And you can just imagine him rolling into Jerusalem. You know, he's got all this, he's got timber, he's got the letters. He's like, okay, I'm here, we're going to do everything. But he realizes there have been people living in the land. People who were concerned about what was going on. So instead of just kind of jumping on out there, he checks everything out. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what I don't know. Jesus is real. Do you take the time to understand the situation when something is wrong? Or do you, like many people, simply begin to complain? Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to take the time to investigate and sit with the problem before jumping in to express your opinion. Take a page out of Nehemiah's book and discover what God has to say and seek him in prayer as you do. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. 
I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio to be reminded that working together is a strength, not a burden. Pastor Daniel will share from the book of Nehemiah how vital it was to the work for everyone to participate, not for one man to do it all himself. The people of Israel worked as a team to accomplish what God had given them to do, and it was an endeavor blessed by the Lord. You don't have to do this work for the Lord alone. Let God lead you to those who can help you. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Honest. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.